everybody. Welcome to the Arts Report. Your host today is Ashley. I am joined in by one of our arts reporters, Mike. Hi, Mike. Hello. And as well as a special guest today, I'm just going to let you guys know what's up on this episode of the Arts Report. We have an interview with UBC Students for Climate Action. They're going to talk a little bit about a um, health and education conference that they held yesterday, and we're going to little talk about uh, mental health and especially how that affects students here at UBC when we consider uh, topics such as loneliness and um, isolation. Then we have a really cool sort of phone interview for you guys. It is kind of a, um, I don't know how to explain it, but it is a immersive and spine-tingling theatrical adventure with Alien Contagion, Rise of the Zombie Syndrome. And um, we're going to have the, um, the director, Andy Thompson, as well as a uh, Vancouver-based actress, um, uh, Ms. M- Eva Butterly, on here. And um, right after that, we're going to talk a little bit with Christine. She has some stuff with us uh, about the Vancouver Fashion Week, the Vancouver International Improv Week, and Vancouver International Film Festival. But now, let's kind of get to our main event. Welcome to the show, UPC Students for Climate Action. Hi there. Hi. Hi. So, um, welcome to the show. And first of all, can you tell the listeners about, you know, a little about yourself and a little bit about, you know, this kind of, I guess, um, co- coalition, coalition that coalition, you guys have? Yes. Yeah. Um, so I'm Ali, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm a part of a group of students that started UBC Students for Climate Action. And uh, basically what we do is we hold workshops mm-hmm. and we hold community events focused around art and expression, uh, trying to create the necessary forms of cooperation that mm-hmm. are required to tackle such public good issues as climate change. Um, Our group was started because of the international call by scientists Mm -hmm. like the IPCC that said that we need extreme cooperation and we need extreme cooperation fast or else there's going to be serious consequences. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I want to talk a little bit about an event that you guys hosted yesterday. Can you tell our listeners more about it? So it was the health and education event with Mm -hmm. Dr. Gabor Mate and Professor Del Diamond. And we also had musical guests and a live painting that commented on the refugee crisis. What do you guys mean by a live painting? So there was a painter with Mm -hmm. a giant two canvases of 72-inch by 40-inch canvas. Okay, that's huge. And Mm -hmm. there was two of them, so basically filled all of the stage, the, Mm -hmm. the backstage. And while the talks were happening in the musical performances happening, our painter Farhad Amini from Canadian Arts and Sciences Academy. Mm-hmm. Um, he was painting uh, this beautiful piece about the refugee crisis and the nature of home. And speaking a little bit about kind of, you know, the, the isolation and um, I, I guess the refugee crisis is not as kind of, it's, it's not as the same as um, what you guys were um, talking about, which is kind of like mental health issues. Yes. And um, what was kind of like the reason you guys wanted to put on this event? Well, I mean, one, I would say that they are very much related just because okay. of the yeah. nature of home and the nature of isolation. Okay. And mm-hmm. the concept of having to leave where you where you feel like you belong is very much related to mental health. and. Mm-hmm. It's different than the type of mental health issues that we deal with here. But the, the reason why we are holding the mental health, mental health education conference is because 
um, in UBC and in Vancouver, mm -hmm. there's a very serious issue of uh, mental health issues. I mean, anxiety and depression, and we have a very high suicide rate relative to the, to the amount of resources that exists for Vancouver citizens. Uh, you'd be very surprised for the number of people that are feeling alone and for the number of people that uh, feel like they're maladjusted to all of these resources around them. And you kind of wonder w what happened. And what do you think there is such like a huge taboo on like talking about these mental health issues and talking about, you know, people, you know, being unhappy? Do you think that's like a big correlation to why there's such a high, you know, risk factor for people living in Vancouver? Definitely. Uh, the problem of having people feel like having mental health issues is a personal issue mm -hmm. and it's not an issue that we're all feeling is one of the major problems that stops people from addressing that what is it about the way we've organized our society? What is it about the way we've organized our educational structures that make students come to the university and come to high schools where there's an unbelievable amount of passion and resource where you could go talk to a professor and they'll literally illuminate the world for you. <laughs> yeah. And instead of having that excitement, a lot of students come here and they kind of feel alone. They kind of feel like they don't know why they're here. They kind of feel lost. Um, and to, to internalize that and to think that, hey, this is on me, mm -hmm. that when I'm feeling stressed, when I'm feeling alone, it's because I haven't figured it out. If half of us are feeling this way and each of that half, so yeah. every single individual is thinking, hey, it's, it's my fault, there's no intuition there. If half of the population of a university is feeling alone, there's something wrong with the way we've organized that. Mm -hmm. it's, not, it's not just like a personal, like not only you sort of thing, but it is kind of like a, an area impact. You're not alone you're here. Yeah. yeah. And with your kind of event, how did that kind of really help you know, students, you know, rally together and bring together this idea that, you know, we are not alone and this issue that we have is not something that, you know, it needs to be shied away from and needs to be kind of exposed. Well, Dr. Gabor Mate, uh, mm -hmm. he illuminates the issues. I mean, he uh, exemplifies how societal conditions mm -hmm. cause mental health issues and how specific occurrences of isolation can cause anxiety and depression mm -hmm. in someone's adult life and how these structures within our childhood will affect the way that we, that we live in the future. And he started his talk with a very, uh, he said that, uh, he said, uh, Gandhi said mm -hmm. that, they asked Gandhi, what does he think about Western civilization? And Gandhi said, I think it's a good idea. And Gabor Mate said, I think, I think that way about the university, that mental health in university mm -hmm. would be a good idea. And then he went on to explain how a lot of the structures, the social structures, that, that cause stress, that cause a lot of isolation within students and within children, and um, specifically traumatic experiences that lead to anxiety and the, they lead to depression. Do you think there's any sort of, I guess, you know, small steps the University of um, British Columbia can take in helping students feel more at ease with maybe any sort of mental uh, problems they have or any sort of emotional problems. I know that there is counseling and stuff like that, but, and people say that, you know, it's, it's helpful, but there's not a lot of people going to them. 
do you think there's like a different way to help people kind of feel more included in the larger school community? Well, definitely. There needs to be a paradigm shift and a structural change in the way we look at mental health issues mm -hmm. because the intuition is very uh, backwards in oh, the yeah, sense yeah. that if when you, you have mental health then it's, it's not good don't be associated with somebody who has that or something and beyond that yeah. when you actually think about mental health you don't look at it as a societal issue right away people say oh you have mental health we need to find a way for you to cope we need yeah. to find a way for you to protect yourself oh, no we need to change the environment that has caused these issues mm -hmm. and that is a huge first step so and this goes for many issues, including mm -hmm. climate change, to say that when you're addressing, for example, climate change, you don't just address the fact that we need to be sustainable. You need to change the economic systems and the social structure, the discrimination mm -hmm. that causes um, us to disrespect our environment. And similarly with mental health, you see so many people having mental health issues. It's very counterintuitive to think that, oh, all of these individuals were maladjusted. So there needs to be a serious education and um, kind of grounding ourselves in the sense that when you see a majority of us struggling, yeah. you can't make people, you, we need to start letting people know that there, there's structural issues here. So what the university can do and what students can do is kind of start talking about structures mm. and start talking about what is it about the way we've educated our kids? How is it, what is it about our high schools that have caused mental illness? Mm -hmm. What is it about the structures? What is it about the media? What is it about the way that we use, uh, for example, our phones and the internet yeah. that isolate us? So that conversation needs to be had where we stop talking about just the fact that we need to cope. We do need to help people cope. We need counseling and we need to make it so that everybody has a chance to talk. But when you are in that position, you need to feel a sense of solidarity because you don't get half of the population being isolated for no reason. Mm -hmm. Similar to the fact that you don't get half of Canada not voting for no reason. Non-participation and non-involvement and loneliness are induced. Humans are rather social creatures. So when it doesn't happen, yeah. when we're not behaving socially, when we do feel lonely, there should be a serious outcry. Like, what happened to us? To us, That's not true. you. That's true. <laughs> so that needs to be the, ch the, the kind of the, the language change in which we talk about this. It's what happened to us. It's not what happened to you and then what happened to you and then how can we help you. It's how can we help us and then how can we help individually as well. So there needs to be this both aspects addressed. Yeah, so what you're, what you're talking about is kind of not only, you know, help individuals with their problem, but also prevent a huge group of the population from kind of having to experience that kind of, um, I guess, stress. I mean, it's not, it's not just stress. There's isolation. <laughs> yeah. There's that feeling of you're coming to university. And the brain is made in a very exciting manner. I mean, the brain was made because we, we, we've evolved in this very social manner. Mm -hmm. We like to be involved in politics. We like to be involved in understanding the world around us. And there's a stigma, for example, to being a passionate person. It's for some of us. Oh, yeah, There's yeah. There's a thing, like, <laughs> ignorance is bliss. It's like, yeah. people actually believe this stuff. And for that to actually exist within our society is very uh, interesting. And I mean, there's things, and I, like, it's a very generalistic uh, statement, but mm -hmm. Eric Fromm would say that in a sick society, a sane individual will feel like he's sick, and a sick individual will feel like there's nothing wrong. Mm -hmm. And, for example, with consumerism, and the, the nature of a lot of our behavior and the way that um, 
one, we don't care about the way we treat the environment. We don't care about the way the the the, po- the global politics that we're involved in. There's a lot of problems in this, and the fact that we're not always conscious about the fact that we're occupiers of a land and we're not educated this in a serious way in our high school. There's a or 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 in university. There's not there, that conversation doesn't exist. That that is our past, and without understanding past, you don't have intuition. So a lot of these things are very much interrelated. You can't address mental health without addressing economics. Mm-hmm. And this is why UBC Students for Climate Action is holding a mental health event. Because to kind of isolate these problems is to not understand that the human experience is so unified. Mm-hmm. It's going through all that at once. Yes. Yeah. And that actually wanted me to like kind of lead into my next question is, I know you guys are, you know, from what I can see, you guys are very proponents of change, definitely an active participant in it. And um, I wanted to ask, do you have any other future events for um, climate action that you guys are another passionate uh, thing that you guys uh, have a huge focus on? Yeah, so we have uh, a couple of things, actually. So we're going mm-hmm. to be creating a collaborative painting uh, that basically looks like 40 canvases put together, okay. um, painted by 1,400 different people. So passerbys mm-hmm. are going to be walking by and we're going to ask them, hey, would you like to help us paint this painting? And they're, mm-hmm. they're going to have a little small box of that mural. And we're going to say, hey, can you paint this box for us? And they'll paint it. And then after all of the boxes have been painted, we're, we're collaborating with uh, some artists in UBC. And after all the boxes, boxes are painted, you're going to have a pixelated painting that comments on climate change oh, wow. and climate refugees. That sounds cool. Um, and it's just going to be this very giant uh, mural. Mm-hmm. So we're very excited about this because it's going to bring a lot of people together. We're going to have flowers. We're going to have spoken word around it. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the major events. We're having David Barsamian uh, come into UBC and come into Vancouver mm-hmm. campus, the downtown Vancouver campus. He's going to be talking about the war on nature, and he's going to also be talking about how media... We're actually going to invite CITR to this. So how uh, (laughs) we're going to talk about how media can help us combat institutions of propaganda and institutions that cause Mm -hmm. non-involvement and how these community media, such as his own alternative radio, which is a historic radio station... Things like Democracy Now! or Pacifica Radio, which had a very serious impact on the world. Mm-hmm. We need that again. We need people like David Barsamian, and we need the, the students of now to become the David Barsamian in the future because we need 60s types of movements to address all the issues together. Mm-hmm. The civil rights movements was hand-in-hand hand with the LGBTQ community, the feminist communities, the inequality communities. The, all of these people work together. That needs to come back, and that needs to come back through media and through organizing our, as a collective. So that's going to be a huge topic at the November 4th and November 5th David Barsamian events. Okay. And then looking into the future, we're holding a theater show mm-hmm. that is going to be a game show. And this game show is going to exemplify the relationship between inequality and discrimination mm-hmm. and cooperation. So that's we basically really show that if you have a game, so you're going to have... I don't know, a 20, group, 20, 20 people sign up for this game show. It's going to be a theater show. Okay. And they're going to be playing this game, and the first part of the game is the inequality game. Okay. And <laughs> in this game, you're going to be playing all these activities that exemplify how privilege at the beginning okay. and how discrimination play a much bigger role in inequality mm-hmm. than very... Uh, 
I would say, very prejudiced ideas such as like the reason why there's inequality is because some people have more motivation than others. Yeah. And these very, I would, I, I'm very surprised when I hear it because some people actually think that the reason why they're not, I don't, they're not working hard enough to get it. It's, they it's don't have that go-getter yeah, exactly. attitude. Exactly. And yeah. they think this about whole countries. There are people that yeah. think, oh, Mali is in poverty or, you know, a whole continent has issues with poverty because they don't know how to fish. They, they couldn't figure it out. No, it's, it's when you see a whole bunch of people in poverty, you say, what happened? Mm-hmm. What happened to these people? Humans have all the abilities necessary to take care of themselves. When you see people in a bad situation, your, your, your first reaction is, what happened to these people? Mm-hmm. So this is the same thing with inequality. With all these resources and you have unbelievable inequality, your first reaction is, what happened? How did they force so many people to not have anything? So, and that's the intuition. That's the first part. So there's going to be these games and we're going to have you know, just like a theatrical, fun satire about the American dream. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, it's going to show how cooperation is necessary to be able to address climate change. And basically, the relationship between inequality and climate change is that if there is inequality, the chance of serious cooperation is very low. And if there's very low cooperation, you don't address climate change. Yeah. And climate change affects the people that are worst off already. So then you get higher inequality, mm-hmm. and that higher inequality leads to worse cooperation, and it's a positive feedback loop. It just keeps getting worse and worse until something very drastic happens. So that's going to be a theater show that's going to happen before the Paris Climate Conference. Okay. Yeah. And I wanted to ask, how do you... Uh, I know that UBC is pretty sustainable in which that we do have a lot of programs implemented to reduce waste and um, whatnot, but I'm, I'm always kind of, like, surprised at some of the... Not, not many, but most of the apathy when it comes towards climate change, do you think it's too late for us now? Or what, what can we do to kind of like motivate ourselves into caring more about, about our environment? So what do you mean about apathy? Like, Well, from, from, from what I notice, there is still a little bit of kind of like, oh, it, it's gonna, you know, like the world is ending, kind of it's gonna happen sort of thing. Like, like, you know, if I just throw this one bottle away in the trash, it doesn't really mean anything. Like, yeah. it's, the world is already worse off. What are some ways for students to kind of, you know, kick that kind of habit and really get sort of closer to the land that we are inhabiting? Well, a big reason why we did the mental health and education conference is because when you read, for example, about stress, okay. you realize that the reason why stress is so debilitating is not because something bad is going to happen to you. It's because you don't know what's going to happen to you. Mm. So if something even slightly bad is going to happen to you, but you don't know when it's going to happen and you don't know how it's going to happen, that'll cause so much more stress and it'll slow you down so much more, that uncertainty and not knowing where you are, not understanding your circumstances, than if you know exactly what's going to happen to you. The nature of climate change and the nature of a lot of global issues that overwhelm people um, is exactly that. You talk to them and there's such a confusion as to what's really happening. And when you don't know the variables, when you don't know what's mm-hmm. affecting you, you don't feel like you can do anything. And then people shut down. Exactly. And there's also another problem in that people feel like a movement or any type of action needs to be made towards a goal. There's a lot of enjoyment and there's a lot of value in just moving towards what you think is right. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, in climate change, a lot of people will criticize, like, hey, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Why are you trying to make a difference if, if the chances are very low? It's like, well, that's not why you do things. You do things because they're the right thing to do, because 
that's what we need to be doing right now, and we'll do whatever we can. But you don't say this is, for example, say, oh, clim- UC students for climate action. How are you going to stop climate change? Climate change. <laughs> and you say, well, I don't know, but we know that these are the things that need to be done in the process. Mm-hmm. What choice do we have? So to be able to change that kind of conversation, the most important thing is creating a coalition with feminist groups, creating a coalition with LGBTQ mm-hmm. communities, and uh, creating a coalition with you know, racialized groups and people that have been discriminated against because that is the nature that inequality and the, the way we've treated ourselves, the way we've treated the environment as well, as anecdotal as that sounds, mm-hmm. they're very much correlated. So as in indigenous communities didn't treat their land this way. They, yeah. they felt very close to it. But the same way we've isolated ourselves between each other, we've isolated ourselves with our environment as well. So as we bring, bring ourselves together as a community and we recognize the value in being together and enjoying the process of creativity and mm-hmm. creating expression, not just moving faster and faster. It's like, where yeah. are you going? You need to, that slowing down process is very enjoyable. So what we're trying to do is to change that through creating these coalitions. Because as you create these coalitions, people stop thinking that it's impossible. Mm-hmm. People, one, start enjoying the process and stop, they'll, they'll stop being motivated through fear and they'll, um. they'll be motivated by, hey, we're making a mural. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's a, there's Creative a, expression. Yeah, there's a yeah. musician here. I'm creating a game show. Mm-hmm. We're going to a theater <laughs> right now and there's satire. Mm-hmm. So it's like you make it so that you come here and you feel like you're creatively involved. You come here and you feel like I've, I'm growing out of this. I'm growing out of this movement. I'm, I feel like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a part of something. You're not just there because, oh, because we want to stop climate change. That's not how people should come together. If we all just join together because we dislike something or because we agree on something, as soon as we, as that starts to change, we lose our community. Mm. What needs to bring us together is common experience. What needs to bring us together is the fact that we're all human and we're living here and we need to deal with the same things. And once that brings us together, it's so hard to break that community up. But if we're all here together because, hey, mm-hmm. I, you know, I also do this on the weekend. Yeah, or I, I also, also like this. Yeah, and then, yeah. And then friendships break up just because the other person grows up. Yeah. Or like there's a lot of anxiety in knowing that if I change the way I live, I lose my friend group. Mm-hmm. If I start caring about politics, I won't be able to talk to my family. I won't be able to talk to my friends anymore. And there's a serious issue there because people seem to only come together through these very superficial and um, very breakable bonds. Mm-hmm. And when you look at other communities, strong communities, what brings them together, you ask them, hey, why are you friends with this guy? They say, what do you mean? He's just, I've always been friends with the guy. It's just, mm-hmm. we enjoy being together. Here, we're grown up with the kind of notion of why are you friends with this guy? Oh, because we share a lot of things in common. Yeah. Which isn't, that's not how it works. You know, like what, what brings us together is like different experiences. We enjoy being together. But yeah, it's easier to come through together through mm-hmm. common interests. But it's definitely not more interesting. It's definitely not more enjoyable. And that's what you need to change. You need to, we, need to, we need to change our community so that it becomes very interactive in that way. Mm-hmm. And kind of more integrated in, in not just what you mentioned, like little kind of activities and stuff like that, little kind of likes, but more as like a huge goal of creating something together. Definitely. That's right. Well, anyway, thank you so much for that really informative yeah. <laughs> interview. I really enjoyed that. Thank you so much again. Yeah. And again... That was Ali with the UBC Students for Climate Action. And 
Once again, they do have some upcoming uh, events. Please do check them out. We're going to go into a little bit of uh, commercials, and then we're going to go uh, right into a, uh, another interview. Great. My name is David Scott. I play wide receiver for the University of British Columbia football team. And I'm here to discuss the Being More Than a Bystander program. Myself and a few other players were lucky enough to work alongside the BC Lions and EVA, the Ending Violence Association, to support this cause. The main goal of the Be More Than a Bystander initiative is to increase awareness of domestic violence against women. I mean, I just wanted to do a nice experimental music radio show and maybe throw in some feeling nice talking that anonymous, like a private sense in your podcast. I mean, I think I can I can talk and that's good enough. Fight or flight music sometimes for things that are not alright. I just radio essays and travesties, radio catechisms, half baked philosophy and criticism. Experimental beat music, avant-garde, post-punk, industrial, noise, ad nauseum. Cue it up. Every Thursday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. on CITR 101.9 FM, where we bring you the Community Living Show, a full hour is produced by the disabled community, showcasing for BC self-advocates with lots of interesting and fun content, including some interviews from special guests with special needs. Join hosts Michael, Kelly, and friends every Thursday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. on CITR 101.9 FM and streaming online at citr.ca. Because you've got a friend in community living and CITR. The Canadian federal election is coming up on October 19th. It's important that you get registered in order to vote. To register, or check if you're already registered, you can visit the Elections Canada website at www.elections.ca. We also have lots of information for voters, including necessary ID, writing information, and the location of Elections Canada offices. If you're registered, you should receive a voter information card by mail telling you when and where to vote. You can also use the online voter information service. You can vote on election day at your designated polling station, on advanced polling days between October 9th and October 12th, at any Elections Canada office, or by mail. Elections Canada offices are now open seven days a week. To vote by mail, you need to apply by October 13th, online, by mail, or at any Elections Canada office. Remember, get informed, register, and vote by October 19th. I'm at war. I'm at war with myself, I'm at war with you, I'm at war with everybody. That's why I don't do drugs. 
because I don't want to be numb. I want to feel the, the pain. I want the clarity of the challenge. I want to win. I want to kick in the head. I want to tear the throat box out. I want to smash in the lungs. I want to kick in the rib cage. I want to split the spine. And I want to use your phone, make love to your wife, sister, eat your dog, and leave your house with a good cassette. CITR 101.9 FM where there's just a little bit of Kim Fowley in each and every one of us. No, I don't think so. Has mental illness or addiction touched your life? You might be interested in coming out to the Kaleidoscope, UBC's first and only student-created, peer-run mental health support group at the university's Vancouver campus. They offer a stigma-free place for people to share their stories with others going through similar experiences. The Kaleidoscope meets every week on Tuesdays from 5 to 6 p.m. at the Center for Student Involvement in Brock Hall. Learn more at the-kaleidoscope.com. Thanks to sky-high gas prices, we can convince America that more drilling is the answer. High gas prices? Drill more. Prices still high? Try drilling in a wildlife refuge or off a nice field. Our traditional energy resources are limited. Luckily, it's easy for students like you to conserve energy. Woke up late for class? Buy some time in the morning by taking a shorter shower. Cut down by one minute every day and save enough to fund your daily caffeine fix for over a week. Plus, you save on electricity and water. Install a water-saving shower head to save even more. For more energy-saving tips, go to www.bchydro.com. This message brought to you by BC Hydro and CITR 101.9 FM, Vancouver. Another night's work well. Three women, dressed in lingerie, were hanging from the ceiling on meat hooks. In an adjacent room, a man was in bed with two deceased females, also wearing lingerie. He positioned their arms in a sexy embrace. Down the hall, a man holding a chainsaw stood over the motionless body of a sixth woman lying on a table covered in plastic. These are scenes from a popular music video by a Grammy award-winning artist. If we want violence against women to stop, shouldn't we stop treating it like entertainment? Join the conversation at hashtag not okay. My name is Gennady O'Sullivan of the Klawitsis Nation, originally from Turner Island. You're listening to a window exploring the legacy of Indian residential schools. This PSA was cut from a rally called Honor the Apology in Ottawa, Ontario. Those speaking are Clayton Thomas Mulet, Melody McIver, and Jocelyn Ayatar. Truth to come to the surface so that 
briefly begin a conversation about reconciliation. Today, Canadians, newcomers, First Nations, Métis, and Inuit peoples from all walks of life and religious denominations will reflect upon the impacts of Canada's residential schools. The burden of this experience has been on your shoulders for far too long. The burden is properly ours as a government and as a country. There is no place in Canada for the attitude that inspired the Indian residential school system to ever again prevail. You have been working on recovering from this experience for a long time, and in a very real sense, we are now joining you on this journey. That was Stephen Harper in 2008. Unfortunately, the burden of this experience has not been shared. We believe it is time for us to all face what happened during one of the most violent policies in this country's history. We believe it is time to take a journey of honesty together. We now know that there is tangible violations of the Geneva Code on Genocide, that this country has committed crimes of genocide unequivocally against indigenous people. there listeners welcome back to the arts report and now on the uh, phone with me live it is um the virtual the virtual stage they have a immersive and spine tingling theatrical adventure with alien contagion rise of the zombie syndrome which is starting um actually just yesterday october 6th it's until november the First, I have with us uh, Andy Thompson. He's the virtual stage artistic director, series creator, and actor. We also have Ms. Um, Eva, 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 Eva. <laughs> <laughs> um, Butterly, who is a Vancouver-based actor, and your latest credits include the hit TV series Game of Thrones. So welcome to the Arts Report, guys. Thank you so hey. much for being here. Thank you. And uh, I just wanted to kind of like, uh, I guess, just get into it. Um, Andy, you are the creator of the Zombie Syndrome series that are huge hits in the Vancouver theatrical art scene. I just wanted to ask, um, Eva, have you seen these shows before? Oh, yes, yeah. Um, I've been in the show in uh, 2013. Oh, I see. I played um, a remote-controlled zombie. Mm -hmm. Uh, This year, I'm playing a human in the show, so little bit of a character change. <laughs> and I wanted to ask, and then you mentioned that was back in 2013, and now it's 2015. Zombies are still a huge thing. How do you guys feel about the mass popularity of zombies in media? And what do you think is the core of our fascination with, like, the undead? Well, I don't know. It's a very good question, and, <laughs> and I get that sometimes. I think that there's there's entertainment value with zombies from a number of different perspectives. One is comedy. They're so ridiculously far-fetched, the whole (laughs) idea of someone dying, Mm -hmm. and then for whatever reason, there's a whole bunch of potential reasons in the zombie subcultures, but for, you know, pick your, you know, is it a virus? Is it an evil spirit? Is it, uh, you know, they weren't dead in the first place? I don't know. There's all sorts of things. Uh, Radioactive, you know, infiltration, (laughs) all sorts of things. Uh, You know, and then they, they, they walk around and they want to eat brains. It's just, it's just hilarious to me it's just so funny kind of can't um, be isn't it 
like endless to play with as well with the different types of zombies. Yeah, if you if you look at the zombie walk, which we aren't affiliated with at all, uh-huh. but, if, but I have gone to them just out of sheer curiosity since I started this project. Mm-hmm. And the thing that fascinates me most about the zombie walk is that here are thousands and thousands of people who just want to dress up like these hideous, bloody, <laughs> awful, horrific ghouls. But there's all sorts of types. Like, there's absolutely no cohesion. There's a Darth Vader zombie. There's a yep. banana zombie. <laughs> there's an Adele zombie. Anyone can be a zombie. Yeah, there's a, there's a you know, uh, uh, you know p- p- uh, peanut butter sandwich zombie. You know, like, they're all, <laughs> all over the place. Uh-huh. Kind of, it's, I don't know. I think that part of the, part of the thing is that uh, perhaps as a culture, we uh, have uh, a degree of nervousness around uh, where we're at uh, with nuclear technology and whatnot and arms race. And even though these things aren't maybe as prominent in the media uh, as they used to be maybe in the Cold War or whatever, there is a lot of, there's a lot of horrible things going on in the world. And you watch mm-hmm. the news and, and like, how do you deal with it? It's kind of like a, a, it's a way to vent, I think, about uh, yeah, our, cathartic our, release but through zombies. Pardon me? Like a cathartic release. You're like, all, all these pressures, and they just, the solution is zombies. Yeah, you know, it's a way of maybe owning our anxiety about how awful things are, <laughs> you know, and, and expressing it. Like, if there's one thing I know about about dealing with feelings, it's you have mm. to express them, right? So it's a, it's a, creative, it's a creative act, and, and much like Halloween, there's a, a, lo- a great deal of fun to be had by any person in society who might want to just dress up and have some fun. And let's talk actually about the setting for a second. So Andy, you've decided to set this piece in space. So now we have aliens in the mix as well. Why this particular kind of mashup of of genres? Well, I wouldn't say I've set it in space, although I would love to do that. Like I would love to do a site-specific piece on the International Space Station. That would be the Uh cost cost of that ticket. Yeah, it's a it's a million and point five dollars, um, and you we can tr- do an audience of one. Um, no, um, <laughs> basically uh, uh, the whole alien idea is that aliens have come to the Earth. Oh, okay, uh-huh. I see. That, no, it's okay. Um, you know, but it is but it is other. There is a definite otherworldliness to it. We do have aliens in the show. We have there's spacey elements in there for sure. Yeah, like like, but but we but the setting of this particular story is on Earth. The whole the whole journey for the audience that they go on is they have to save the future of human species on the planet, basically. Hmm. I see. And, and so, why, and so mm-hmm. why why did I choose to do that? Well, yeah. I just think it's a whole lot of fun, you know. <laughs> I, 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 my stepson, Finn, he actually came up with the idea, we think. We were watching TV, and I was trying to figure out what the, the zombie subculture would be this year. And every year I want to do a zombie subculture. Like next year mm-hmm. I might do, you know, underwater zombies or something. Mermaid zombies. Yeah, mermaid zombies. <laughs> Um, King Triton zombie. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, last year we did um, uh, drug addict zombies. The year before, when Eva was with us last, uh, she w- it was all about remote controlling the zombies with implants and things like that. And, and so um, he said, what about aliens? And, and I said, that's such a cool idea. Why would aliens be in this universe? And he said, well, maybe they just made the zombies. And I thought, whoa, that's awesome. Why would aliens make <laughs> And then we just started ripping on ideas, and before you know it, 
Jason is on the writing team. He's got a writing credit. And uh, awesome. it's Ben and myself and uh, a longtime collaborator, Tyler Clark, we put the story together. And then I wrote uh, the story that we, we came up with. And uh, just a lot of fun, you know. Aliens are awesome. And, and they're, they're, they're really, really smart, smarter than us and way smarter than zombies. So they're, they're actually, in, in one sense, more terrifying than zombies because we can't outwit them. They're, they're way smarter than us. Mm-hmm. Whereas zombies, you kind of have like an idea of what they're going to do. Aliens are a little bit more unpredictable. Yeah. 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 To, to us, perhaps, we are the zombies to the aliens, right? We're so unevolved. <laughs> <laughs> In addition to what you guys have said, the show is an in- interactive theater piece. Can you tell our listeners why you've chosen this particular format and how do you both feel about live responsive theater? Well, I saw a show many years ago called The Accomplice in London, England, and it was an interactive show on the streets of London, and it was the most engaging piece that I saw of all the shows I saw in that, that trip. And I saw a lot of shows. I, saw, I even saw Kevin Spacey play Richard III and uh-huh. went to all these really, really fancy venues. But this one piece on the streets of London was the most fun, the most engaging I had. And I asked myself after, why did I have so much fun? And it was because I was literally a part of the story. I was, mm-hmm. I, I had to do stuff. I had to take action. And, and I thought that was just a great way. It's almost like an antidote to the couch potato type of entertainment mm-hmm. where you're so passive and you, you veg kind out. Kind of like and, absorb information. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This one, this one you have to think on your feet. You have to be smart. You need to make good decisions. And there's even uh, multiple endings. Oh, yeah, I was actually going to ask about that, too, because you can't really gauge how your audience is going to, I guess, um, interact with the story. You know, were, were there, how did you guys kind of figure out which ending to do? Well, we don't. The audience does. Mm, okay. Yeah, but you, so guys there's, have, there's... you guys have a kind of like a plan of how it's going to play out. Yeah, yeah so kind of like in choose, uh, choose Your Own Adventure novel, mm-hmm. uh, you're given a choice. Uh, we have to do it near the end because if you do it near the beginning, I actually did the math. You end up with like hundreds of possible scenarios. <laughs> it's very, it's very confusing and, and uh, really impossible to rehearse. But, but uh, when we first started this a few years ago, we started playing around with how we can split the decisions into different reality streams based on audience decisions, and came up with three or four endings. Uh, as being a good number. So if basically there's one very important decision and from there there's like a yes or a no and then there's, so there's two reality streams and then in both of those reality streams there's a potential decision or if, if you only do it on one then there would be a, three potential endings. So anyway, it's uh, it's a whole lot of fun and, and it does uh, complicate things for us and with rehearsals and the, the actors have to think on their feet but it is very... Oh, hello? Hi. Okay, good. You guys are still there. Yep. Um, yes. No. Continue. Sorry. The I think the mic got cut off a little bit. Oh yeah. No worries. So so basically, there are there are multiple endings and uh, and it's challenging to rehearse, but uh, it's very rewarding for the audience and, and a lot of fun. And they also get scored on how well they did. Oh and okay. So it's kind of like a, uh, yeah, like, like, a, like a game almost. Yeah. Yeah. There's a gaming element, a gaming and scoring element to it. And I, I, I had the privilege of actually taking a look at a, uh, a thrilling video teaser of the show. It looks 
fantastic, by the way. It looks like a real, like a huge amount of fun. And one thing it said is that you guys also allow people to use their smartphones. Is that true or no? That is true. Uh, we require uh, audiences to use their smartphones every year in different ways. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't want that to be uh, something that people without smartphones, uh, to, I don't want them to be nervous about that because not every single person has to. We only need a couple of smartphones in a group of 20 in order to have the audience uh, successfully do the, the mission. And we've found that roughly half or more is the average in terms of the number of people bringing smartphones to our shows. So. So when I create the show, I do my best to figure out what's out there in terms of apps and mm -hmm. interesting applications of these apps in the theater experience. And uh, there's uh, this year there's uh, some linguistics challenges that require the internet, and there's some uh, googling and GPS. Uh -huh. So they have to figure out coordinates, and then they, mm -hmm. once they plunk those in, they can find the next scene and so on. And now I'm just going to direct this question to. Um, um, Eva, uh, you are also known for your role in the hit series uh, Game of Thrones, and what is it like from going from fancy screen to apocalyptic, um, kind of sci-fi but not really uh, theater? I know you've done this before, but this, this is again a, a different setting and whatnot. Is there always kind of like a process you go through in getting ready for this kind of theater, or...? Um. I would say, like, uh, my process um, is, like, pretty much the same as other shows. Like, um, mm -hmm. I do um, a fair bit of research into uh, the setting, the time, but also, you know, what kind of makes the character tick, what are their little things. Uh, for instance, uh, this year in the show, uh, my character, Lucy Peterson, is a, an alien and UFO enthusiast, mm -hmm. um, who uh, believes that she's been abducted many times. Um, and so for that, um, you know, I would do um, a good bit of research into the different types of aliens, uh, different types of spacecraft, people's accounts of getting abducted. Um, mm -hmm. I watched some pretty uh, interesting stuff on, uh, on YouTube about uh, abductees and... Uh, yeah, all that type of stuff kind of helps uh, helps me get into the mindset of the character. And I want to ask both of you guys. Um, one thing you guys you guys have, and this is when I was um, I, when I was corresponding with um, with someone earlier, is that your show is at a hidden secret location. Can you tell That's us the right. reason why, or is that a secret too? Well, it's kind of <laughs> no. I can tell, I, I can tell you why. Uh, all I right. Can, the original inspiration for the show. Uh, again, this the show I saw in England called uh, The Accomplice, and and that in that show we didn't find out until the night before, and and I, I was just thrilled about that. I thought that was really cool, and it got me on my toes, and and I, I, that that uh, is something that I, I carried forward in terms of uh, building the format for this year's show. And we love I love producing a show and not telling people where it is. It gives me this great <laughs> sense of satisfaction. I don't know, it's kind of maybe sadistic. I don't know. It's like, hmm. here, I'm buying a ticket. Where do I go? I'm not telling you. Can't tell you. Can't, sorry. sorry. <laughs> Thanks for buying the ticket, though. <laughs> There's kind of like no, that but, anxiety and that suspense, yeah, I guess. Yeah, it starts people off on, on edge, which, mm -hmm. is, you know, it's, it's playful and it's fun. And, and uh, you know, there's people, you know, because we do create the show 
through the eyes of the government, mm -hmm. that the government is enlisting secret agents, and the secret agents are the audience. So whenever I get such a, a, a nervous email, I say, trust us, we're the government. <laughs> we'll let you know. Mm -hmm. And um, just so our listeners are aware of it, if they are interested in buying tickets to what seems like a truly, from like start to finish, immersive show, where should they go? Well, they should go online to www.thevirtualstage.org slash tickets, or you can just simply go to zombiesyndrome.com and follow the link to our box office. And from there, you'll be able to look at what shows have tickets available mm -hmm. and also what shows have uh, people coming to it that have already indicated they have a smartphone. And that's, that's mainly for the people who don't have smartphones. Okay. And then, uh, and then uh, buy your tickets and then... The night before the show, we'll uh, send you an email and tell you where to go. <laughs> All right. Sounds, uh, sounds very, very mysterious. And um, for anyone who is interested in the show, I think, you, I think it says that participants are encouraged to wear, you know, kind of appropriate, you know, walking shoes and stuff like that, dressed for, you know, the event and whatnot. Is there anything else that audiences should prepare, maybe emotionally, before they go into any one of your uh, zombie syndromes? <laughs> Shows. Uh, well, every year there are different uh, requirements mm -hmm. that let the audience know about based on the challenge and, uh, challenges of, of that particular year's uh, play. This year we're asking people to dress for the weather and we're letting people know that there is uh, some outdoor walking involved. So just dress like you're going up, out for a walk. Like tonight, <laughs> for example, is a bit of rain, so wear a rain jacket, bring an umbrella, mm -hmm. wear sensible footwear. Uh, there is some, I can say here now that there is some chasing of the audience that uh -oh. you might, that, you know, zombies do come at you. So you want to wear, you don't want to be in high heels. You want to, you want to have running shoes or, or say, say, for example, I put on my hiking boots. Mm -hmm. uh, those are, those are uh, good ideas in terms of footwear. Uh, and uh, flashlight's not a bad idea, though not necessary. And uh, just dress warmly and as if you're going to go out for a walk in the weather for an hour on an adventure. Now I have a question about the zombies chasing. Are they kind of like the, the slow zombies that go, uh, and they kind of go very, very slowly? Or are we kind of like talking like the really, really fast zombies? Because there's always two kinds, the slow one and the really fast one. Yeah, the 28 Days Later or mm -hmm. World War II zombies, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, that's a very good question. In the, in the years past, I've told uh, my, my zombie cast that it's the Walking Dead zombies, okay. so they're, sh they're shuffling. But this year... I've actually, in some circumstances, I've said, you know what, we should do a little bit of the rage zone. Let's do, let's do a little bit of the 28 days later. You run at them from across from there, and you just charge. Uh -huh. and so, so we kind of are having some fun with uh, the speed of the zombies. But uh, one of the things about uh, this show that I found really useful from a technical point of view is the flashlights. So if there's the, the zombies in this universe don't like light, much oh, like... Okay. Much like, say, a, you know, a vampire might not like light. So mm -hmm. it's convenient for me as a, a theater director because I can just light my zombies with the audience pointing flashlights at them yep. for the reason of defending themselves, but it also provides lighting. So uh, it's, uh, it's uh, kind of unique to the world. I, I, I don't know if I've seen that in other zombie uh, uh, literature or anything like that, but it definitely has been handy. No, 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 no. I, I don't think so either. From what I remember, it's always like zombies are attracted to sounds, attracted to light, and stuff like that. So that's actually a good twist and another way for like the audience to I kind legend. of like take control of the situation. I am legend. They, they, they didn't go out in the light. So there mm -hmm. you go. Oh, there you go. 
No, I don't know I'm my not. zombie movies as much as you do. <laughs> yeah, Ice Legend, they, the zombie there, if I recall, he was chasing after Will Smith, and then mm-hmm. the, the whole there was a whole dramatic scene around the sun going down and where the zombie could and couldn't go. And So, yeah, I've definitely stolen that idea. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again so much for joining us here at the Arts Report. Again, for listeners, um, it is the Virtual Stages Interactive Undead Theater Venture Alien Contagion, Rise of the Zombie Syndrome. Go check it out, and thank you so much for being part of the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. All right, and um, we'll talk to you guys later. All right, listeners. So, as you've seen, that sounds really cool. Not really seen. You guys listened. What am I saying? Anyways, anyways, what do you think, Mike? Uh, Yeah, that sounds compelling. I want to see it. Oh, yeah, if I can get tickets, that would be cool. (laughs) Yeah, just so people know, hey, in the future, if you want to go see really cool events like this, you always have a chance to. Other people who may be listening who want to be maybe participating in the Arts Report, we're always looking for volunteers. You get to see really cool events such as this and more. Just so you guys know, that's what the Arts Report does. We're going to go into a few more ads, and then we're going to be back with Christine on some reviews. do you know about bikes? Everything? Perfect. Nothing at all? Even better. At the UBC Bike Kitchen, you can use our space and tools to do your own bike maintenance, get one-on-one instruction on how to fix your bike yourself, or drop your bike off for us to repair. You can also buy a fully refurbished guaranteed used bicycle or a variety of new and used parts and accessories. The Bike Kitchen is UBC's non-profit, student-owned, full-service bike shop. We're located in the basement of the Student Union Building. Just look for the stairwell on the north side of the sub across from Gage Towers, or search for the UBC Bike Kitchen on Facebook. Stop by the Bike Kitchen, and then get riding. Thank you for stopping that. If you actually want to learn more about weather, join the UBC Storm Club. For more information, email us at stormubc at gmail.com. Stop playing those cheesy songs and tune into News 101 Mondays and Fridays for your CITR weather forecast. Interested in NGOs or the nonprofit sector? Want to teach in another country? How about a position in the commerce or engineering sector? Do you want to travel abroad and have a life-changing experience? Isaac UBC offers different internships for all kinds of specialties. We are looking for students interested in fields such as the HIV-AIDS pandemic, community empowerment, business administration, education, environment, and 
sustainability, and much more. If you're interested in working abroad or helping out on campus, please contact ubc.aiesec at gmail.com. That's ubc.aiesec at gmail.com. It's up to you. We're from the UBC Food Society. Yummy. And we're the only food club at UBC. We're about feeding students, but also teaching them how to feed themselves. Through our restaurant outings and cooking workshops, we hope to expose you guys to the diversity of cultures, flavors, and food communities.